Hello and welcome to Pre-Published. I'm Sophia. Jenny Colgan is the best-selling author of science fiction and romance from Doctor Who stories to novels including Meet Me at the Cupcake Cafe and her latest 500 Miles from You. After a false start in stand-up and comic strip writing, her career took off with her first novel, Amanda's Wedding. She's one of those rare authors who's been successful from the word go. She talks about the auction for her first book, the limo that arrived to take her to the successful publishers, no, that has never happened to me, and the importance of good timing, the Great British Bake Off and her Wolverine tenacity. She also gives me her tips for writing romance. They're good ones, so listen up. We recorded this episode in June 2021. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jenny, welcome to Pre-Published and thank you so much for coming. Not at all. It's very nice to be here. Um, now, I assume that you're in Scotland, is that right? That's right, yes. Yes, we flit about between Fife and Edinburgh. How lovely. My first question for you, um, having seen your books all over the place in supermarkets and just wherever I look, there's Jenny Colgan. It's really exciting. Um, how many books have you published now? Have you or have you lost track? Kind it's up in the high thirties, and it depends if you count like novellas or short story. You know, it's a tricky one. <laughs> well, kind of thirty-seven, I guess thirty-eight, something like that. It's yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> But, you know, also some of those are children's books, some of them are YA, so, it, it, you know, they're not all kind of full Can I take you back to the first book deal? Well, how, what was that like? Yeah, it was, yeah, no, oh gosh, of course, yes, everybody remembers their first book deal, I think. Well, it was in the 90s when there was kind of a lot of money sloshing around publishing in those days, a lot uh well around everything really I know I realized I'm just the generation got very lucky but you know I moved to London and I got a job and I could get a mortgage you know stuff that now feels so horribly frightening for my own children was actually in the 90s quite a reasonable thing to expect yeah I see jobs advertised now at the same salary that I went in at as a junior in the night after university in the 90s anyway so there seemed to be there was money and I was kind of I was interested in comedy, obviously, being from Edinburgh, I worked at Edinburgh Festival a lot and, and Comedy Festival and so on. So I wanted to write sketches and be involved with comedy and knew a lot of comics and hung out with them. And, um, and then I tried stand up and it's horrible, it's horrible, it's really horrible. I don't know why anybody would want to do it. It's just really very difficult and quite upsetting. And um, so I, I just, I was rubbish and I was just like, okay, that's a bit depressing. And then at the time, Helen Fielding was writing Bridget Jones' Diaries, a column. It was a newspaper column in The Independent. And everybody I know, I think it was a Tuesday, whatever day it came out, you would rush out, buy the paper. We used to buy papers. I know, amazing. Uh, and we'd all gather around it and it would get handed around. And oh my God, it was, I can't tell you how new it was then. It seems ridiculous now. But before Helen Fielding came along, romantic. Uh, novels really were kind of Barbara Cartland or, or Jackie Collins and I'm not dissing either of those uh, writers uh, or Julie Cooper who of course is brilliant but they were kind of posh rich kind of beautiful people they weren't just normal people that couldn't fit into their trousers and got drunk and you know yeah uh, she was absolutely the first she was a complete trailblazer meanwhile Marion Keyes was doing something similar over in Ireland and it was amazing it was just kind of eye-popping and so kind of someone said to me well, why don't you do that and of course I was 25 so I was like yeah all right and I didn't really I think because I was such a kind of failure writing sketches and, and, and stuff like that 
So I wrote three chapters of, of Amanda's Wedding and I sent it to a couple of agents who both came back to me and went, yeah, all right. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And um, I picked an agent and they put it out to auction, which is what happens when several publishers are interested in a book and they all read it and then they put an offer in. Yeah. And I remember the cruddy admin job that I hated and wasn't very good at. And I will never forget hearing the phone ring and it was ringing as I came in quite late, I was always late, on a Monday and thinking, well, I can't really work because everybody knows that I'm always late. And um, it had to be the offer. And the offers, I think, were due. Sorry, sweetie, I'm doing. Um, anyway, so there you go, the phone rang. And it was HarperCollins. Oh, there was two two offers on the table. And I and I will never forget this because I was living in uh, Elf Bermondsey, which in those days was quite a rough area. In these days, it's quite a smart area. And I used to cycle to work every morning and Harper Collins, one of the big four publishers, they sent a car to pick me up. <gasps> a big black car. And actually, I have to tell you, for whatever it costs, anyone else that could do that would impress me more than how unbelievably amazing it was to be driven in a chauffeur-driven car past my own bicycle route <laughs> <laughs> around the Elfin Castle. It was I was just like, oh, okay, all right, this is how it's going to be. And I met uh, Eddie Bell, who's a big publishing person. And, and so it was just, so I was kind of, well, obviously I was extremely lucky, uh, very, very lucky. And, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, but also I'd failed at kind of quite a lot of things up until that point, nothing was going terribly well. So although I wasn't rejected a lot in publishing, I was certainly rejected a lot in various other things. So yeah, that was good, I think, I mean that that was the one, wasn't it, where where the the locals were desperately trying to save the laird from a from a hideous woman who was going to marry him. Is that right? <laughs> that's the yes, well remembered. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's um yeah. I haven't obviously I haven't read it uh, for years and years and years, so I can't. I have no idea if it, I can't imagine it holds up terribly well. But um, it was funny and it was contemporary and it was just and I my timing was really good. You know, they were looking. I think obviously some and some had gone get us a Helen Field and get us a Marion Keys. Yeah. And I was like, yes. hey guys, they were like, great. <laughs> and they got and they one. Got, and they got one. And I think, I mean, that obviously was luck. I think, you know, they're, they're, they're holding on to it with kind of, you know, really very, very um, Wolverine style tenacity, I think has been my real triumph for the last 20 years of still getting published, you know, well, getting, yeah. getting the first pick deal is actually I'm not saying it's easy of course it's not easy but you're nobody knows who you are nobody knows if you're going to fail you know that you're probably worth taking a punt on it's kind of holding it down about book nine that you've really got to uh, get the uh, get the, the work started but yeah it was it was amazing it was really fun and really special and then the other thing of course is I had no idea how the business worked so when it charted and I remember this it went in at number two Ooh, and, wow. uh, and everyone was like Yay! And I was like, all oh, right, okay. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, that's what happens. You publish a book in it charts. So I was terrible. Hopefully I wasn't too bumptious, but I was certainly um, very lucky uh, with the team that was behind me, with the campaign, with the timing, everything. Well, my, you've already answered my, my next question for you, which was, which was the book that really took off. It was like, the first one was the book that really took off. That is amazing. But I couldn't agree with you more that, that um, you know, it's the ninth book is the, is the one that really, you know, that, that the publishers care about to show that you can, you can keep doing it. And, and in a way, I mean, that, that was harder for you because you didn't have the, the years of grinding 
trying things you didn't have years of experience of failure like the rest of us to to look back on so so what was it like writing book two after after book one had been so easy well book two I loved I still really like it it's called talking to Addison although this will make you laugh it's so old now that they published, they rejacketed it and republished it in America last year and they called it my very 90s romance and they marketed it as historical romance. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're so, so old. <laughs> old, yeah, and it's got on the cover, it's got a big pink pair of Doc Martin 90s boots. Oh my God. So I'm now historical romance in America. I know, oh my God. Um, so number two was easy because I had also, when I was failing at being a comic, I'd also written a cartoon strip, um, ah. which, if they're really I actually I was a bad stand-up I'm quite a good cartoonist and I we I couldn't there's nowhere to place it so few places and publications that take cartoons the ones that do tend to still take peanuts or Garfield or whatever anyway so that was based on a cartoon strip I drew and I, I knew it was funny and I have a very soft spot for it um and then but then things did as they do um kind of got a little quieter as we moved into I think book four book five and then I jumped then we got a big offer to move to move publishing houses oh, and I hummed and hawed and waited up and I jumped to Little Brown which then now is a big powerhouse and runs Hachette and everything else then it's a tiny little imprint that really only did crimes you know we're looking for someone that did commercial fiction women's commercial fiction and uh, and a fabulous editor there who I just loved. Anyway, so they, they tempted me away and, and we went for lunch. It's all very cloak and dagger and quite exciting. And um, and so we moved. And then I had a second stroke of massive career luck, which is that I started writing about. We moved to France and um, to have children. And I started to cook, which I hadn't really done before, and, and to bake because we're in France. It's, there's no ready meals. There's no delivery culture that's you just make food that's what you do and I wrote meet me at the cupcake cafe that's not my call I can't remember what I called it anyway whatever it was I wrote that the year that Bake Off went from its first year which had been small to its second year which was massive okay. and we came out in spring and I think that's when Bake Off showed in spring and that book went like a rocket like an absolute jet it was really weird and surprising and lo lovely and wonderful and the kind of combination of the recipes and food and the, the discovering the joy of kind of making something for yourself, it yeah. just hit. It was just a really, I was just, uh, basically what I'm saying here is I'm really basic. <laughs> so if I like something, it's almost certainly just like a really basic, normal, obvious thing that everybody likes. And um, so that was, actually I'll tell you a funny thing is over the last year, year and a half of lockdown, those books, which have traditionally done extremely well, pretty much everywhere, have carried on doing very well in Scandinavia and places where there isn't a lot of lockdown. But anywhere there is a lot of lockdown, like Britain or, or uh, Italy, nothing. Everybody oh, yeah. was always like, oh, yeah, if only I had some time at home to myself to bake bread and learn how to bake. <laughs> and then everyone had a year at home to learn how to bake and they hated it. They're sick of it. They're sourdough in the bin. It's rubbish. They want to go back to work. So it's basically <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, you know, when Germany was in lockdown, my publisher's going, yeah, it's not going to be our best year, Jen. I was like, oh, and the bookshop shut. And she's like, no. <laughs> just, so they weren't looking really to you well. for their sourdough bread recipes then? They, yeah, they got them really, elsewhere. I, I've always kind of, you know, I write a lot about wouldn't it be nice if your life was a little quieter? And people are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really would want to that. I don't <laughs> understand publishing and I never will, but golly, it's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's largely, um, I mean, would you say that, that comedy kind of defines the way that you approach writing? Oh yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a comic writer and I don't really, obviously I work in what other people would call a lot of different genres. I yeah. write sci-fi, I write for Doctor Who, I write for children. As far as I'm concerned, I came up from comedy, write for The Good of Balloon, you know, I, yeah. that I was a comic writer and uh, everything else is just marketing really. I don't see it as much to do with me. Yeah. Although I, mean, I do have to warn someone, I was at a book festival in France and in France, the way book festivals work is you sit in front of a pile of your books and people come up and they pick them up and they discuss them and they buy them or they don't. It's quite exposing. And um, and obviously I lived in France, so I speak French. And this woman came up with her friend and she went, Sorilla, sorilla, that's uh, as she pointed to my science fiction book, she was like, under no circumstances <laughs> must you ever read this. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just like there and I'm going, yeah, no, it's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what she was missing out on. Um, <laughs> the strangest thing that ever happened to me was I was invited to the um, award ceremony for the Romantic Novel of the Year in 2017. Oh, yes. And, um, and, and it, was, it was a low point for me, just feeling that my career wasn't doing anything and it never was going oh. to, but at least I would see a couple of friends. So I, I went so that we could have a chat. We had a lovely time and then I won. And it just blew my oh, mind and it was with a, with a YA book, but that was about four years after you won it, wasn't it? And I, I found myself surrounded by romantic novelists and it was extremely lovely, <laughs> but I wouldn't call myself a romantic novelist. And, and I don't think you would, but a lot of people would think of you that way, wouldn't they? Because romance happens. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't, I mean, I think rom-com is a time-honoured and fabulous genre, so yeah. it doesn't particularly um, you know, that the Romantic Novelist Association has to cover so much women's writing. It covers all of it, which is lovely, but why do they have such a wide brief when there's like 115 prizes for crime writers and 64 prizes for science fiction writers and then the Romantic Novelist Association is all we have? You yeah. know, it's just like, yeah, come on. However, I know. I mean, <laughs> all, all people <laughs> it, among this lovely group, I think everyone is is kind of quietly roiling because because we're all kind of doing different things. We're writing about big issues. I know you do as well, mm. and we are exploring human nature and we're exploring contemporary society. Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. It's no, not it's, just it's about absolutely. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's worse up here in Scotland. I can't tell you they have such a huge literary tradition, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're unbelievably snotty. I don't mean the writers, the writers are all great, but the establishment is very snotty. Yeah, but hey, books in supermarkets, that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> and I i read 500 Miles From You, um, and I'm a big Proclaimers fan. I think probably not as big as you are. <laughs> I mean, I love them, but I know you love them, love them. Um, such a great title for a book. And what I really love about this one, so we have two people who swap. We've got Cormac, who comes from the north of Scotland, isn't it, down, down to London, and Lissa, who goes from London up to the north of Scotland. And, you know, here's me, a Londoner, and I love London, and, and it's ridiculously expensive to live here, but I do because I adore all the galleries and all the things that I can do. <laughs> and this lovely, lovely Scotsman comes down, and he he hates my hometown and I still think he's gorgeous. <laughs> um, oh, he I feel he warms too very much. A bit <laughs> but not as much as Lisa warms to Scotland but I mean that, no. that, that side of it I, I thought was really funny but um, 
but what what it really did for me was i mean perhaps it is escapism but it really made me want to go and live in a village in the north of scotland um in the, well be there in the summer certainly and be yes you might oh, want to bring your raincoat <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> midge spray um but but the idea of the of the late evenings and the and the, the sort of the long daylight and and the people who know everybody's business uh, and and sort of help each other out. It, it was gorgeous. Is that is that something that you consciously try and put into your books or does it just kind of naturally happen? That kind of, you know, follows a pattern of my own life, really. And like most people, as you get older, the, the kind of bonds of community start to become massively more important to you. And I think one interesting thing of many interesting things during the pandemic was how important your family suddenly became to you and your neighbours. Yeah. Um, because without your family and your neighbours, you were really, you know, if you were living in a tiny flat because you were out with your mates all the time having a ball, suddenly all that vanished. And that was quite, I think, difficult for a lot of people. Um, so I'm interested in that. I do live in a small village and, um, you know, I'm conscious that when I was at younger teenager I didn't particularly like the fact that where I grew up everybody knew my business and knew my parents because they were both teachers in the local school and oh, so yeah on. I can imagine um so you know they're, they're basically <laughs> what is that brain like was it everybody dies famous in a small town there you go <laughs> <laughs> such a good line that I don't know who it is um and I love the anonymity of the city which is kind of you know what the book's trying to get across but the, the yeah as you get older and as you have children out and about it is nice to get a sense of of belonging a sense of place and I think what you see in Scotland and certainly what the government is always at pains to point out is if you choose to come and live in Scotland then you are Scottish you belong here you know that is very much the ethos of the culture I think because we're such a mix of Irish and English and Vikings and, and whatnot um, that you know we're very pro-immigration we're very pro having people come and choose Scotland as, as the place they would like to live and I like that about it. I bet. Yes, it's so different from our own dear government down in London. Um, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I approve. Um, and I, I was I was interested in how how naturally the um, it's, it's a very delicate, gentle romance, isn't it, between these two people who are 500 miles apart for pretty much most of the story. Um, I, I remember when I was at, at, um, at school, I decided that I would love to write for Mills and Boone. I really, really would. Without oh, any yeah. irony or anything, I just thought it would no, be... No, no, no. Lots of people start with Milton Boone. It's a good place yeah. to start. So, you know, I read about 40 of them and, and, and they were all so good. But there were so many rules. I mean, not guidelines, even rules for what you had to do. And one of them was that kind of a couple had to meet each other on page one so that you knew who was who in this particular thing. And, and I'm curious to know, as somebody who, who's, who writes, writes a lot of, um, of romantic books, even though there's so much more to them, um, do, you, do you have certain... Guide, personal guidelines in your head as you're writing as to how it should evolve? Um, no, actually with 500 miles at one point I, I wasn't going to have them meet at all. It was going to be a mm. novel of missed opportunities and my agent went absolutely bananas with <laughs> friend. Uh, um, so, I, hmm, no, not particularly, really. I just, I need the heroes to be funny you know and kind I can't bear the kind of really stiff kind of um, tricky arsehole types yeah um and also I, I just I can't I don't like um 
either of in either of the couples i think if anybody's standing around waiting for the other person to show up or only springs to life and the other person's around that's a problem in your manuscript that's a problem in your work and yes. um, that you know people should always be working or busy or having their own thing and yeah. having love on top of that is a yeah. is a bonus i don't like you see it with people have better you see it with people who are writing best friends as well who have literally nothing to do except hang around and wait for the hero or heroine to to talk to them about yeah. their own lives and their own issues and that is is something you have to watch for so it's like your hero's character is like anyone else's character they should be living a full life whether or not you're telling what's happening in that life right now doesn't really matter you should be fully aware that they've got a lot of stuff going on whether they're on the page or not I think that applies to life as well. I mean, it's certainly applied to, to my life um, that, you know, the, the healthy relationships happen when I'm busy and I've, I've got things going on and yeah, I've got something to offer and so have they, and yeah, I'm not hanging around. Um, oh, and yes, I can just see how that would work in, in books too. So thank you. I will <laughs> I'll bear that one in mind. Um, but I mean, as you say, you, you also do do Doctor Who. Is, is Doctor Who the only science fiction that you do or do you do other science fiction? No. Uh, no, I do. I've got a bit called Resistance is Futile, uh, which is a kind of science fiction um, story about an alien mathematician who plays piano. Um, and then there is, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, I don't know. There was, I tell you why it's about a superhero. So it was called, and in my head it was called Sex Lives of the Superheroes, but actually the phrase superhero is copyrighted. Marvel own it. No. Uh, or <gasps> they all own it. So you're not allowed to call someone a superhero unless it's one of their guys. It can't be one of your guys. So we had to change it. And I would love to tell you what we changed it to. I can't remember. It's quite little. But anyway, no, I write other science fiction too, off, off topic, if you like, just as, as in it takes me, really. I've got one that I'm going to write between whenever I finish this book and Christmas. And does that, does that, do you approach it with a different mentality or not? Or is it, is it, does it just give you more freedom to invent a world? Um, yeah, not even, not even that really. I don't, well, sometimes I have to invent a whole new planet, a whole new world. And it's really, usually because the boys swoop in and nick all the historicals or the earth set stories before I get a chance. <laughs> I'm never quick enough off the mark to bagsy the good ones, the air set ones. Uh, so I always end up having to invent a whole planet of gravity and bugs and wolves and jobs. And oh my God, it takes so long. It's really, really, really difficult. And um, so, no, I'm not so interested in that, but I am slightly interested in people that bend the rules of physics and, and normal life. I think that's interesting. Have you read Hail Mary by Andy Weir, by the way? Oh, I'm reading it now. How funny! I've literally just started it, so don't tell. I don't want to know anything. Nothing. Don't tell me a thing. He's literally just woken up with a tube up his bum. That's it. That's all I've got. To oh, are you really out there beginning? Well, <laughs> treat in store is all I'm going to say. It's one of my absolute. Oh, I know people keep that. In fact, I I'm not even happy when people do that. And people are like, "Oh, I'm not going to tell you anything, but it's brilliant." And it's just like, okay, well now, what are you doing to me? Don't just don't even up my expectations because I love the marsh, and then the second one yeah. is no good. So I'm just kind of going into this out. Of, Blind faith, and every time it comes up, somebody goes, "Oh my God, it's so perfect. You're going to love." So, anyway, I was, I was very nervous. Okay, don't want that. You're. Well, the, the Martian was one of our favourite books as a family as well. You know, the, the 10 year old at the time yes. loved it, yeah. particularly loved the swearing. Yeah. The, um, you know, yeah. everybody loved it. We all yeah. thought it was absolutely incredible. So, yes, I, I went yeah. to great trepidation. 
but there we are yes yes I got nowhere with artifice nowhere and it was just very oh good oh well I am so pleased for the book and for him and I just finished Sorrow and Bliss which I thought was extraordinary really remarkable it's a rom-com <laughs> of a very unusual type uh, but it's um absolutely splendid splendid writing really very fun that is fascinating that is one of those word of mouth books for me I haven't seen you know I haven't seen it on posters in the underground or whatever I suppose I don't really go in the underground much at the moment but I but I hear people saying how much they loved it and that's generally how I buy books so I, I wondered that when it started when it charted I thought oh goodness somebody I think enough they just got it to enough booksellers and enough people who tell other people what they're reading and just went this is something really special and it has been a while in women's fiction since we've had a real something coming along with them going read this read this I think since three women was the last time people were quite as enthusiastic about uh, reading something it's brilliant anyway definitely I should recommend it to my book clubs as well awesome um have you got any any writing gurus I, I, as in authors who you turn to for inspiration uh, or people who write about writing um yeah i know russell t davis obviously from working on doctor who and he's just as good as anybody can be at the job that he does and i love this he's written a book called the writer's tale with benjamin cook which is really just he writes these amazingly long terrifically entertaining emails and it's really a collection of his email um but for process and for what it's like and also of course he has a much harder job than me because he has to fight with people about you know set budgets and, you know yeah. cgi and stuff like that uh, but yeah um he's absolutely brilliant and he has and i always like this actually a writer friend of mine's married to an opera singer someone who was a singer and he was in um one of these musicals like lamez or something for a year and it was like how do you do it every night for a year how do you keep doing it and he kind of said well because of the training that i had i was there's a level below which i'm not going to fall there's a level of competence which i'm going to bring to it that's why they hired me and i might be much better but i won't be any worse and i always when things are tough when you think oh god really oh who's going to buy this how's this going to work i was like there's a level of competence over the last 30, however many books, below which, you know, you're not going to fall. It is going to finish. Then you can fix it and make it better. But don't, you know, what you're writing is not, it might make you cringe. It's going to be all right. Fix it later and just get it done. And I see that over and over again in people. You just need to give yourself a little bit of confidence, even false confidence, just to get it finished. You just have to push on through and get your ego working and then fix it later. I completely agree with but that. But Russell's book is, is brilliant, really, really good. I've, I've often heard him talking about writing on the radio and things, and, and yes, I, I love the way he does it. So yeah, I would agree. The, the, the book of mine that, that astonishingly um, won the um, Romantic Novel Award was one that I was certain wasn't going to work. It was a patchwork of things that that I that did make me cringe, absolutely. And I passed it around my writers group and said, shall I just give up now? Because I clearly, I mean, it was my seventh book, but I thought I just clearly can't do this. And and they were really encouraging and they, and they got me to limp to the end. And then my yeah. editor was completely fantastic. And yeah, and, the, and then it's the one that won the prize. So it just, yes, it, it, it taught me limp to the end, exactly as you say, and then, then make it better and then it will be all right. <laughs> Also, you know, don't forget, you've got no idea if your book's any good or not. You know fine well that the way a book has received is nothing to do with whether you found it fun to write, whether you thought it was brilliant, whether you thought it was awful. These are, this kind of thing isn't really up to you. It's up to your agent and your editor and then ultimately the public. But, you know, you're 
good to do a job, do a job. Other people will tell you, you know, what's working and what isn't. And you probably shouldn't listen to them either. (laughs) (laughs) Write what you need to write. Um, Well, I I always ask people for for tips for writers. I I think there are so, so many there. Do you have another one that you'd like to add? You don't need to, because I think we've got lots. Um, I mean, I don't think I see anything different from every other working writer out there, you know, get your routine, get your schedule, get your words down. I mean, it's so boring and we see it a lot and people are always disappointed. You know, I mean, Irvin Welsh is a friend of mine. He writes 2000 words every single day, just like every other bugger, you know, that isn't, that's it. <laughs> and if you have to, God, I've written in some stupid places, a lot of wait, sitting in the car park at school waiting for the kids to get out of school you know I don't have very many mummy friends because <laughs> I wouldn't mingle because I was always trying to get another you can get 500 words in 50 minutes if you absolutely have to you know sitting out the back of empty cinemas I've done that sneaking out terrible films leaving them in um you know that's that's it that's the job so you know do the job get it down power through it don't worry if it's no good because you don't know and um fix fix it in post fix in there Great. Well, um, thank you so much, Jenny. It's been fantastic talking to you. Lovely to talk to you. I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Pre-Published. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at PrePubPodcast and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com, or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com.